Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 41 titled, Have No Fear. Now even though the title today is Have No Fear, there's still some things in today's message that are a little spicy. There are a few warnings in here from Christ, and we should listen carefully because Christ is always putting things into perspective for us. So without further ado, let's dive into scripture. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 33 says, So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So seven short summaries from that. Number one, have no fear of men who persecute. They cannot harm the soul. There is nothing to fear. Number two, we need to reveal Christ's words to others. We just have to share that, period, dot. And we need to know what's in the Bible. That's just all there is to it. Number three, we're supposed to fear God, not men. And we're supposed to obey God and obey men and all of the authority placed above us unless the guidance from the men violate the guidance from Christ. As long as nothing violates... Like if someone's telling you to go hate and murder and it's legal, I don't know, something like Hitler or Stalin, if you're given orders to go murder and throw people in ovens because they're of a certain ethnicity, let's hypothetically say, well, then you have to stand your ground and say, no, I have to obey the Lord, the Lord, not men. And if someone says, well, the Lord says to obey um, men, it's like, yeah, well, you can't take that out of context. I can't, I have to obey God first, first and then obey the institutions of government second. As long as you're telling me, as long as your instruction for me is, is staying within the confines of morality and ethics, then we're good. But if you're, if something along the lines of World War II and the heinous crimes that occurred, I have to say no, because I have to obey Christ first. Anyways, number four, God is aware of our suffering. There's no question about that. Number five, we are more precious to God than his animals. So as much as certain human beings love animals, God loves us many, many times more. Number six, we are to acknowledge Christ in front of men. That's not an option. And we'll talk about what happened with Peter, which ties into number seven. If we deny Christ, he will deny if we deny Christ, he will deny us. So this section of verses we went over drives a vital point rather regarding repentance and forgiveness. So everybody knows, most people probably, if they're somewhat familiar with the Bible, knows that Peter denied Christ multiple times before men, and yet he went on to do marvelous things for the Lord. Judas betrayed Christ, but ended up in hell. And if you don't think that's accurate, go read Acts chapter 1, verse 25. And when you come to realize that there's an apostle in hell, that ought to just put things into perspective for you. Say, I might need to tighten up how serious I take my relationship with the Lord. And I would highly recommend that, which ties into some more verses we'll cover later. But the question I want to ask is, what makes Peter different than Judas? Peter repented and kept his hand to the plow. He never stopped ministering to others in the name of Christ. However, now Peter felt contrition too. 
but so did Judas. Judas felt contrition, but instead of keeping his hand to the plow, he gave up and committed suicide. And that's terrifying because the Bible isn't explicitly clear on what exactly sent Judas to hell. Now, there are two ways to look at what Judas, excuse me, at what sent Judas to hell in relationship to repentance. So let's play with some ideas here. If we say repentance is to feel contrition, then that means Judas repented. And if that's the case, it was the suicide itself that sent him to hell. Now, if we say repentance is not only to feel contrition, but also to stay in the fight, to carry our cross, and to run the race, like Peter did, then we could say that Judas never truly repented, because Judas, in fact, gave up and didn't keep his hand to the plow, like Peter. So no matter how we look at it, we must feel contrition for our sins. We've got to keep our hands to the plow, run the race, carry our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. Now, it would be foolish to assume that guidance for the apostles doesn't apply to us whatsoever. And we're talking about other verses aside from the whole Judas and denying thing. Just because we're not nearly as significant as the apostles regarding roles, functions, and responsibilities, that does not mean that we shouldn't do what Christ tells the apostles to do. So if the Holy Spirit reveals something to us, then certainly, yes, we must proclaim it. However, it cannot and must not violate the original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. If someone claims the Holy Spirit revealed something to them and it violates the original Bible, then that means the father of lies deceived that person by mimicking convictions of the Holy Spirit. Or there was some sort of arbitrary presupposition that that specific individual was more concerned with proving their presupposition, let's say, rather than discovering the mind of God. However, the enemy primarily does this through two ways, emotion and rationalization. Now, everybody knows who's honest with themselves. Now, this, this, there's an exception. This is, okay, this is not an absolute what I'm about to say. We can use the 90-10 rule, the 85-15, the 80-20. This is a majority rather, an ab, rather than an absolute, okay? So men are typically tilted towards logic and women are typically tilted towards emotion. So where the enemy can typically exploit women is through emotion and where the enemy can typically exploit men is through rationalization. Now that's why, and logic and rationalization are not the same thing, obviously, right? This is why we must use logic to to not ration, I'm sorry, we must use logic, not rationalization to filter our convictions through God's written word in its original language, in its original context. So don't rationalize our presuppositions. Rather, we should use logic to discover the mind of God and filter our convictions through scripture. So we have to be honest with ourselves because people are deceived all the time. All the time. Just look at the millions of people who are part of the prosperity gospel and they're just swallowing up all the falsehoods that Joel Osteen style preachers are feeding them. It's, it's, it's very, very, very easy to deceive people. It's very easy. That's why we've got to put more of an emphasis on discovering the mind of God through logical reasoning of scripture rather than just the feel-good prosperity gospel garbage which is about how God makes us feel and what he's doing for us rather than what we're doing for God. It's, it's completely degenerate. We are told in Scripture, this is moving on to talking about fear now, we're told in Scripture that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, yet fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
That's Proverbs 1, 7. And if, if you run into a pearls before swine situation, it's probably because that person is just a straight up fool. So if they're despising instruction and it's crystal clear in the Bible, like, hey, this is what the Bible said. And they're like, no, 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 no. That's not what it means. And they're just despising it. They're probably just a fool. Chances are they're probably just a fool. And th there's a lot of demonstration of foolishness that the apostles, James, for example, addresses foolishness regarding believing and having faith. So there's a lot of foolishness, truly, that we have to work through. We're also told in Scripture that we should act out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's Philippians 2.12. Now, this ties into Matthew chapter 10 today. We're told to fear the Lord because he is the only one who can kill the body and soul together by casting us into hell. Now, man can only kill the body, which is why we should not fear them. It's like, well, you can't send me to hell. You can shoot me, shoot me in the head. You can kill me. You can't, can't send me to hell. You cannot send me to hell, so I'm not scared of you. You can, you can hurt me. You can cut my arm off. You can drag me behind a car. You can do whatever you want to, but you can't, you can't hurt my soul. That's the Lord's. And not to mention, no matter what you do to me, it has to pass through the hands of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, anyways. And it's going to be a way to honor and glorify Him. So do what you need to do. I'm not denying Christ, period. That's the way our mentality needs to be. Now let me ask you this. If you go to an Orthodox church or a traditional Catholic church, this probably doesn't apply to you. However, if you go to a Protestant church, and I'm not being a hypocrite here, technically I'm a Protestant on paper because I'm investigating non-Novus Ordo Catholic, excuse me, non-Novus Ordo Catholicism, which is the old traditional Catholicism pri prior to the Novus Ordo um, subversion, and I'm also investigating Orthodox Christianity. So Satan has done a number on uh, the new Catholic Church. However, there is parts, the true Catholic Church rejects the current Pope. So don't, if you hear the word Catholic, just don't throw it out completely. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are people who reject the heresies of the current Pope, etc. Now, the, I'm currently studying the Orthodox Christian Church and the traditional Catholic Church, but I'm technically a Protestant on paper. However, however, how often do you guys sit in church on Sunday and see people acting out their salvation with fear and trembling? How often? Does Amazing Grace on a Loop with coffee and bonbons show the proper fear that we should be demonstrating? Is that the type of reverence we should be having truly? If it's God's house, if we're going to hypothetically call it God's house, is it like a celebration? Should it be coffee and bonbons every single day when we're told to fear the Lord? I don't know. Now, I'm not saying all Protestant churches are like that, but there's definitely a movement nonetheless. And this pathological movement, the people, people are celebrating things they don't understand. There are preachers using words they don't understand, like faith and grace. But go ask them, what's the purpose of grace? And ask them, what do you consider faith? Now have the definitions at the ready, know what the biblical definition of faith is, and know what the dictionary definition of faith is, as well as the dictionary definition of grace and its purpose. But the purpose of grace is in Romans chapter 1 and Titus, I forget what chapter, but it's right in there. It tells you, it, the Bible literally tells you the purpose of grace. And we need to know what faith is. You can't just sit up in a pulpit each day and say, that's right, man, you better have faith. You got to have it without it. It's like, okay, hey, real quick, got a question. What is faith? Oh, we got to believe. It's like, well, hold on a second. That's, that's a different word. That's a different word. <laughs> so what's the difference between believing and having faith? So... Well, we've covered that in some other podcasts, but we'll 
we'll cover that when we get to like the Gospel of John, because that word is used a lot, especially John 3.16, it's so popular. We'll probably hammer that with the John 3.16 section. There's also things that are worded in a way that violate Scripture. So that's something else I've seen. Be very careful. Don't just swallow things because someone says it. There's also, I've seen things worded in a way that are blasphemous. I've also seen things worded in a way that are heretical. So it, you ha we have a responsibility as Christians to filter everything that we see and hear through God's Word, His original Word in Greek and Hebrew. And you're probably thinking, well, how in the world? Well, you don't have to memorize Greek and Hebrew. Just get on blueletterbible.org. All right, just start somewhere. Start somewhere so we won't, won't be deceived by this false gospel movement. And what they're teaching like I've mentioned before, they're saying, this false gospel is saying being a Christian is about what God is doing for you rather than what you are doing for God. So don't be deceived. It's straight bananas. It's garbage. So no human endeavor, and I'm going to cut some slack here. I'm not trying to just casually criticize everyone, but there's for real some pathological problems looming. It's no joke. There's a reason the Christians are now having a second reformation, it's, or the Protestants, are, I should say. There's a reason for that. There's no human endeavor that's 100% perfect, but there's no question that the Protestant faith is drifting further and further from the truth. Like we mentioned, the second Protestant Reformation, they're now called Reformed Protestants. It's craziness. So just to fill you in, Martin Luther broke away from the Catholic Church in the 1500s, and that was called the Protestant Reformation. And over the course of 500 years since then, that movement has fragmented into 43,000 denominations. Now, Think, just think logically for a moment. Are there 43,000 things to argue about in Scripture? Absolutely not. It is ridiculous. That same movement has created a hundred different Bibles, and they don't all agree. And some have significant errors, and that's not my opinion. That's the opinion of scholars who have high training in biblical exposition and Greek uh, language. I mean, the straight-up verse placement and everything, it's like there's not a hundred different versions of the truth. It's insanity. Now, we know this does not make our Lord happy because he tells us a house divided against itself cannot stand. And that's Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. So if anybody wants to think the Protestant Reformation breaking into 43,000 pieces... And over a hundred Bibles, I would urge them to go read Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 every day and take a cold shower until they've learned their lesson. It's insanity to think that that is something, something that weakens the body of believers is advocated for or viewed in a positive light from our Lord. It's just not. Now, I say all of these things to warn everyone and to urge people towards the gospel that is true and right. Now, even though we are called to have the fear of God, we need to understand the purpose is to get that fear behind us and propel us forward towards repentance and righteousness. In lieu of that fear urging us forward, we must also understand that every single hair on our head is numbered. We are valued. We are loved by our Lord. But it's so important for us to reciprocate that love back to Him. It's so important. It's if not the most important thing that we can do for him is to abide in his love. And being a Christian is not just sitting back and receiving love from God only. It's about loving him with all our heart, mind, and soul. If we love him, let us not deny him. 
Rather, let us declare his name boldly and share others what he has done for us. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.